Welcome to our podcast, All About the Car, brought to you by Sherrill Tire and Service. I'm your host, Rob Hoffman, an auto service specialist with over 44 years of industry experience. And back with me today, our regular guest, Brian Call. He's a veteran in the automotive industry with over 40 years of experience. Hey, Brian. Hey, Rob. Great to be back with you. Good to have you along. And Bill Sherrill, a guy that's been driving a long time, always keeps us on track and straight and narrow and has a lot of great questions. Hello, Bill. Hello, Rob. Great to be on the road today. Good to have you. Well, let's hop in, buckle up, and hit the road. Today, we're going to discuss how Wisconsin winters affect you and your car. You know, it never seems like we're quite ready for all the snow when it comes. And when it comes, it can come pretty heavy. But, you know, I did a little bit of research on this, and it always feels like we get more snow every year and at different times. So I kind of wondered, you know, what's going on? Right. So according to a 2020 report, so pretty recent, called The Case of the Shifting Snow, a group of researchers of a climate communication organization called Climate Central states that increases and decreases in annual snowfall are being documented. Overall, the 100 cities in the report, 37 had more annual snowfall in the 2010s than the 1970s, while 62 cities experienced more snowfall in the 70s. So I thought I'd bring it back closer to home and look at one of those reported cities that we may be familiar with, and that's Wausau, Wisconsin. That is pretty darn close to us. So right in the middle Mm -hmm. of the state for the most part. And the report states... The annual average snowfall between 1970 and 1979 was 54.41 inches. And the average annual snowfall between 2010 and 2019 is 66.64. Now, are they counting on Granite Peak where they actually make snow? (laughs) Where the snow filters (laughs) over the city? Exactly. (laughs) Well, I don't know. You would like to think they're smarter than that, but... (laughs) So it turns out to be an official annual average increase of 12.23 inches or 22.48%. So yes, in our world, in central Wisconsin, we're actually seeing an increase in snowfall. That's awesome. You know, that might be a good thing for the local ski scene, but it sure can create challenges for the commuters. Correct. And I always think back in the 70s or as a child, always thought there was more snow because it was just higher. And as you grow up, the banks get lower. (laughs) Absolutely. I used to dig all kinds of tunnels in the snow and I could swear I used to stand up in those things, but maybe I could. I was a lot shorter back then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So obviously with an increase in snow and things have changed over the years, just like the snowfall has, but More and more cars are traveling and really moving around these days than back, you know, back in the early 1900s. And it wasn't until the 1950s that they really started using road salt. And road salt really is, I guess that's not a technical term, but that's really what has made it successful for us to keep clear roads throughout the winter. Um, As a matter of fact, it became popular by 1956. And the DOT had implemented a bare pavement policy for state highways, trying to make the travel safe year-round with the use of road salt. That's one of those things that you never think of because none of us are around or were driving in 1956 when it was not bare pavement. Exactly. We're just used to that. And the, unfortunately, the other thing that we've become used to as well is rusty cars, rusty metal. Rusty infrastructure, so bridges and whatnot. So that's the adverse or the bad part of using road salt. And I, uh, in a little bit of research that I did, I know they're uh, experimenting with other means of keeping the roads clear because it does affect our environment as well. 
So the challenges we have before us when it comes to winter and it starts to set in, and we're not that far away from it as we sit here and speak today, we really got to be ready for it. And we do have some tools at our disposal to help us get ready for that. A lot of our cars today have safety features that we didn't have back in the day. What are some of those safety features that we have in our cars today that we, maybe you and none of us had really grown up with? The first one that comes to mind is anti-lock brakes. It allows you to maneuver around a accident, something in the road, but it's not designed to prevent you from getting in that accident. Speed is a big factor as far as maneuvering around things in the road, going into the ditch, accidents, things like that. Describe to me what does anti-lock brakes actually do? Is this the pumping of the brake? Because I remember, you know, growing up, the first thing you always learn is if you're going to get on ice, pump the brakes, pump the brakes. That's exactly what it is. The computer and the hydraulic controls do it at thousands of times per minute, whereas you're pumping it a few times per minute. So it definitely tries to slow you as quickly as possible, but still speed is the big thing. But the biggest thing is you have to still put your foot on the brake and hold it there as it's like vibrating as well. Actually, one of the things you should do is find a safe parking lot and actually practice with the anti-lock brakes because what you're describing, the brakes make a terrible noise when they're It almost they're sounds doing like it. something's wrong. It right. does. When it activates. And if you're into a braking situation and your natural reaction might be to lift on the brakes instead of having a slow, even pressure on it, which is what you're supposed to do. Got it. But nonetheless, you got to keep your foot on the brake, no matter yep. what the... <laughs> the anti-lock is not engaged if your foot is not on the brake. Yep. <laughs> I hate to put you on the spot, Brian. At about what year make an, or year of car make did the they start coming out with the analog systems? Oh, airplanes have had them for decades. Go back into the 60s, the commercial airline business had them. I can remember them in the late 70s. Late 70s. Okay. They're commonplace in the 90s, early 2000s. Pickups had rear anti-lock brake only instead of the four-wheel anti-lock brake, which is pretty much standard equipment now. So as they started to evolve, they went from the rear maybe to all-wheel anti-lock, things yep. like that. And so with the average car on the road today being about 12 years old, pretty safe to say most of our vehicles that we're driving and that are out there have the analog. Yeah, almost everything does. Is there any way to know if your car has it or not? Is there any signs, anything on the dash? Don't they even talk about that anymore? No, there's lights on the dashboard that indicate that you're typically in an anti-lock braking situation. Refer back to your owner's manual to figure out what all those different dash lights mean. And you touched on all-wheel drive. You had made a mention of it. So that's another tool that basically helps us maneuver in slippery, wet, snowy weather. It helps to get up to speed, helps to get the vehicle moving, but it does not help the vehicle from a braking standpoint. Right. Maneuverability more so. Yep. Increases. You might be able to steer around something a little bit easier because you have all four wheels applying power but it definitely does not affect the braking. On. No, but it doesn't help traction. Yep, the traction to get going. And I think the technology has really come a long way in all-wheel drive also because it will put the effort to the wheel that needs it, if I'm yep. not mistaken. It can put it all to the front, all to the rear, 
various amounts to the front or the rear. Cars are pretty smart these days. Yes, they are. (laughs) And another feature that came to mind was lane deviation. And I'm trying to figure out how that plays in as a tool for winter driving. It doesn't. It's just really cool. You know that? (laughs) In most cases, it doesn't because when you're in the slippery situations, the roads are snow covered, ice covered. The lane deviation needs to see the center line and the sidelines. So what if those are gone? It doesn't work. Really? So it doesn't just detect a car close to you. It has. It, needs- it can detect a car that you're coming up behind okay. or that's coming up behind you. But the lane deviation where you're slowly going into the left-hand lane or going into the shoulder, in most cases, winter driving, you can't detect that. So it's not going to be a help at that point. Unless you're on one of those highways that's clear pavement. Yeah, yeah yep. that uses a lot of salt. The standard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we usually don't have winter driving problems. Right, exactly. <laughs> so the other tool that we have at our disposal is, of course, tires. Tires have come a long way when it comes to winter traction or all-season type traction. We've said it over and over again, but tires really are the only thing between us as a driver and the road. It is that one important piece. The winter tires are unbelievable the amount of difference in traction between that and a standard all-season radial. Though the rubber compound in those tires are designed to be pliable when you get down below freezing, down below 32 degrees, whereas a traditional all-season tire, as it gets colder, they get stiffer. So the tire doesn't have the ability to clean out and get you the traction that you need in those situations. A lot of people call them snow tires. But they're truly winter tires anymore. It's not necessarily just the snow that it's helping you with, but the condensation that ends up on the road surface, the slight icing, the frost that comes with it, because they stay so pliable and they have so many sipes in them. And those sipes are the individual cuts. And those are the biting edges that, that really help enhance the traction. I know forever. The big challenge has been traction on ice, and we always used to say back in the day that there's really nothing you can do about ice. There's nothing you can, no way you can make it any better, but I think that's really changing these days with, as you stated, the winter tires. It makes a difference. Back in the day, we had studs, little metal. Oh, they're great. (laughs) Inserts. Not so good for the roads. Not so good for It's really hard on the roads, and your emergency vehicles still can use them. Your Your mail carriers. Yep. Otherwise, chains. Back in the day when I run a tow truck, we'd have to put the chains on. Sure, sure. Just like going over the the mountain passes, right? They still use those out out west. And speaking of weather and snow and chains and forecasting and all that, weather forecasting has come a long way as well. Not just the tires, but also the information and how quickly it can get to us in regards to what's coming, which helps us to better prepare. Well, just a radar that you can see on your cell phone really is helpful. I mean, we always think that the questionability of weather prediction, shall we say, that, but, you know, you have the capability at least to see what is around you and what the radar is showing, which is a huge benefit. I always think sometimes things get hyped up a lot more now than in the past, but I think maybe because we know more, people are more aware and can really say, yeah, we're going to get three to four, five inches of snow. And when it actually hits. Yeah, we've never had this foresight 15, 20 years ago, really, even and prior to that. So we're really, there's a lot of tools at our disposal Mm -hmm. that helps us to better prepare for our Wisconsin winter. So what else can we do to prepare? 
most of it is really a mindset, I guess. One of the best things you could do if, if you could ever work this into your schedules, find a an empty parking lot somewhere with no poles in the middle and maybe do a little driving on some ice or some snow. Yeah, understand how your car is going to react in various situations. So you're not surprised if you end up in that situation. Absolutely. That way you can feel what it feels like and know how to react and recover from it. So a lot of it is just changes in your driving habits. It, it is a different type of driving when you get into the winter season for sure. Slow down, plan a little extra time. Give the plows the opportunity to get out there and do their job. I mean, a couple hours can make a huge difference in a snowstorm. You know, you speak of plows, and those folks really have quite the job to do, and oftentimes they'll go two, three days straight plowing the roads to keep them clear for us. I'd also like you to go back and uh, listen to a podcast that we had done a while back called Driving Smart and Safe in Wisconsin Winters. So check it out on allaboutthecarpodcast.com. And we got into a little bit of conversation about the plows and what is incorrect or unsafe and what is the right way to pass a plow or to act around a plow when you're going down a snowy road. What are some of the other things that we can do to change our habits when we get into the winter the winter months? Keep your gas tank full. Okay. Try to keep it above half a tank. That helps with condensation. And if we get too much condensation, that can create some ice in the gas lines, which gives us a different set of problems. That's the isopropyl will solve that. It definitely helps. Isopropyl alcohol versus a methanol. The isopropyl actually evaporates the water out of the gas. So good habit to get into, especially if it gets really cold. So as my dad used to say back in the day, put a can of heat in the tank. Yes, sir. Is that the same stuff? There's a couple different there's the methanol and the isopropyl, so just make sure you use the correct one. And it's still around. Oh, yeah. All right. So put a can of heat in the tank. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. And then, uh, you know, a lot of other things you can do that, again, it's a mindset change. Allow more time to get your car up to temperature. Probably de-ice the windshield, the windows. You don't want to make, you want to make sure more than just your windshield is clear. You got to make sure everything is clear. You don't want to lose any sight that you normally would have in the summertime. Brush your car off when it snows. Definitely brush it off. If the snow comes off your car and causes an accident, you can get some tickets for that. That would not be a good thing. I, I can't tell you how many times that I've driven down the road after a snowfall and I'm coming up on a car where all the windows are clear, but there's about two or three feet of snow on top of that car and it's kind of flaking off and that might not be a good thing. The semis had the same problem years ago mm -hmm. and I think there's actually a law that there they have. There is a law have to clear the snow off the top of the trailers. Yep. And of course, Brian, as you said earlier, allow extra time. So make sure that if you you know that it always, during the summer, takes 30 minutes to get to work, probably should add five or 10 minutes to that in the wintertime, especially it's, during adverse weather. Right, and especially in the winter because of the, in this area of the country, it's dark when you go to work and eventually when you go home from work. So just driving conditions at after hours, I won't say night because sometimes it's 530 in the evening. You know, like it doesn't feel like night, but it's dark. Absolutely. And we've all, speaking of dark, we've all heard of black ice. Mm -hmm. What is black ice? Is it just a clear ice on a black pavement? Is that how, That's why? It's as simple as it is in my book, like ice that forms and it's got that sheen, but it looks 
you can't tell it's there. Looks like a regular plain old road in front of you. <laughs> what I always think of is perfect. You see them at convenience stores where the downspout comes and the water runs off and freezes. Oh, that's the worst. That's black ice. Okay. And, and that, that just happens in other places on roadways. That's the same as like a skating ring. That mm-hmm. is just clear, smooth ice. And how the heck you combat that? But be aware of it. We've got to drive differently when that possibility is there. How do you react to ice that's that slippery? Slow down or don't drive on it at all. There you go. We'll come back to what you said earlier (laughs) for sure. We have a common theme going here. Slow down. Yeah. Take your time and don't take any chances. You'll get there. Absolutely. You're better off getting there late than you are unsafe. And cruise control. That's interesting. Don't use cruise control in slippery conditions. The car is going to think it's slowing down, so it's going to apply some gas. and. Fortunately, with traction control anymore, it's going to slow it down and not allow it to apply the gas to try and get back up to speed. But there may be a delay there to disengage the cruise control or kick the traction control in. If you don't use the cruise control, just lifting your foot is almost instantaneous. Whereas if it's the cruise is trying to apply it, you could lose control of the car pretty quickly. So it sounds like an opportunity to do some donuts in the middle of the freeway, which might not be a good thing. Probably not a good situation. So that brings up another good point. You have to make a determination and know when it's not okay to continue in adverse conditions, such as a snowstorm. You've got to back off in our minds and say, you know what? It's not worth it. I'm just not going to go today. Correct. Hard thing to do sometimes. As with every All About the Car podcast, we always take a side trip or a road trip Wisconsin to a cool destination or a fun destination in Wisconsin. And today we're going to hop in the car and we're going to go to the Merrimack Ferry. The Merrimack Ferry is interesting. It's a cable-driven pole-type system ferry that takes you across the Wisconsin River between Sauk County and Columbia Counties. And it's free. The free. And it's operated by the DOT. It's like a Wisconsin transportation system. Well, let's talk a little bit more about it. How long does it take to get across that river at that point? About seven minutes. Seven minutes is free. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're going, I mean, obviously we're talking about the car, but if you happen to be on a bike ride, you can also go across on bike as well as if you're out hiking. I don't know where the roads are, but where you'd be hiking around there necessarily. But pedestrians are also welcome on the Ah, ferry. Open to pedestrians and cyclists and 15 cars capacity. So there's three lanes, five cars per lane. That's a pretty good size ferry, I would say. And I would assume that it's not really even motorized if it's cable driven. It's got to be a motor of some kind. It's got to be a motor somewhere. It might be on land. And we're just saying the ferry because it has a name. It's the Colsack 3. Oh, okay. So for Columbia and Sauk combined together, Colsack 3. Very creative. If I'm pronouncing that correctly, Colsack 3. So it's the third ferry? I guess that's true. (laughs) Complexity in names. So I'm curious as to exactly where this is uh, so I can get on my bike and go and try this. It's on Highway 113. Oh, between Oki and Merrimack. Is Correct. It? Yep. That's where it is. Now, is that down? Is that going to be down north of Madison area? And northwest of Madison. North of Lodi. Yeah, so you'd be 20, 30 miles west of Madison. And 
Sounds like a good time. I mean, there's a lot of little tricks and secrets that we pass along here on our road trip, Wisconsin. And this is just one of those things that I had never heard about. And I'm sure many of our listeners haven't either. So it's been a good ride. Yep. It was kind of fun seeing the cables pull us across the river. But let's get back to driving in Wisconsin winters and how it affects you and your car. So now, now that we're back from the Merrimack Ferry, what about your car? How can we prepare the car for our Wisconsin winter? What's the best thing to do with the best approach? What time of the year should we start to think about this, Brian? Oh, definitely the fall before winter, the cold, the snow all comes upon us. Take a peek at the tires, have your car inspected, make sure the brakes are okay, make sure nothing's sticky, that they're all operating evenly and the way they're supposed to. Make sure your heater's coming up to temperature. Oh, good point. And that it is, the defroster is operating correctly. We want to make sure that we don't start fogging up or icing up the inside of the windshield during those snowstorms because it's usually pretty damp and the body heat as well as the car heat going up against that cold windshield that can really cause it to ice up and definitely don't want that situation to happen. What about the battery? That's going to be pretty important. Yep, definitely have that tested. We have so many electronics on our car anymore that the battery and the charging system are definitely put to work every day. I would suggest replacing the battery before it does go bad, typically five, six years. If you replace it in that interval, you shouldn't have too many problems. I've seen batteries seven, eight, nine, ten years old. That's just living on borrowed time. Oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. And do you really want to use that and take the chance in the middle of winter having something fail on you? I think that kind of falls into the maintenance part of the owning a car. Is that right? Yeah. Just kind of (laughs) keeping up with it, staying ahead of the game. Speaking of being able to see out your windows clearly and defrost, you're, of course, the wiper blades plays a big part as well it's yeah. great snow removal too it's not supposed to be <laughs> done that way i'm picturing rip rubber blades i know i always say that that's my best <laughs> snow removal tool but we're okay with I, that I, yeah, <laughs> exactly sell more blades right an additional repair cost yeah. but now you should get out there and make sure your windshield wiper blades are not frozen to the window instead of letting the motor try to rip them off bill i admit i do that all the time (laughs) bad me but i know better too well and there was one note on a website that talked about fog proofing your mirrors and the inside of your windshield wiper with shaving cream spray it and wipe it off with a paper towel has anybody ever heard of this technique not until right now that is a new one to me very curious to give that one a try you're going to come back and report with us on that, aren't you, Bill? I think I might have to because that, I've never heard that one before. So, And then also on the outside, you can take a small dampened bag of iodized salt and wipe it on the windshields, and that's supposed to not have things stick. Again, a home remedy possibly, I would use like the windshield wash that has the built-in rain guard. So stay tuned for a future podcast when <laughs> exactly. Bill Sherrill comes back and lets us know how all that uh, works. Home remedies <laughs> to keep your car safe in the winter. Absolutely. I mm-hmm. can't wait to hear about that. Yeah. You know, if there's one time in a year, just one time that you take your car to a professional, it might be in the fall. Yeah, I would definitely encourage that. Definitely have your brakes checked out and everything like that, too. That's kind of tough to do at home, but you want to make sure you've got 
everything working like it should to go into our Wisconsin winter. And talking about brakes, that you should not be applying a parking brake in the winter. Good point. Good point. Uh, coming back to the salt conversation, mm-hmm. oftentimes those cables do get a little bit rusty, and once you apply it, they won't return. And it also happens where they freeze, actually, in the super cold winters. Thank God we live in a flat area for the most part. Yeah, <laughs> but- yeah. if you're going to use your parking brake, you should use it every time. You stop the car. You don't want to try to use it once a year, once every couple of years, because they can stick. Wisconsin winters, the salt, the ice, all of that good stuff so, is hard. You know, even if you're on an incline parking, is it truly that much added protection to apply the parking brake? It would definitely give you another layer of safety having that brake applied it's pretty rare that a automatic transmission will jump out of gear. We don't see too many manual transmissions anymore. It was ultra important with those. Turning your wheels correctly into the curb, away from the curb, depending on if you're going uphill or downhill. Oh, I remember driver, driver's education now. Yep. It's all coming back. Yeah. So that may be more important than using the actual parking brake itself. Got it. Just Imagine. because of where we live. Right. Is it easier on the transmission then? If you had the parking brake on and you're parked on an incline, take it out uh, of gear? It might come out of gear easier, but it's not hurting anything. Okay. That's a, a mechanical. The p- park in a car is mechanical. So it's two metal components coming together. So it's not really putting any stress on anything. Okay, so there's no doubt we really need to have our car looked over and kind of do some of that work or pre-work ourselves before we get into the winter. And typically, the sooner the better. So you're kind of beating the rush of all the appointments being made in the in the uh, serv- auto service centers. So what else can you do to help prepare for winter? Well, let's ask the big question. What's in your trunk? What kind of junk you got in your trunk? Maybe time to kind of clean that trunk out and put an emergency road kit in there. And there's a lot of different types of items you can have in your road kit. We actually have a link out there on our podcast at allaboutthecar.com. So make sure you check that out. And there's a good list there. There's kind of a basic list. And then there's a list that takes it a little bit further, more of a progressive list. And then there's some uh, some serious items that you can have if you're really, you know, maybe live in a mountainous state. I always like to add a little few snacks to that list, whatever it is that, you know, you just never know when you get stranded and want some food. So you could have a frozen granola bar. Right, exactly. You know, better than nothing. Absolutely. Well, it wasn't that long ago that there was a major accident down on I-90-94 by Madison, and those folks were trapped out there for many hours, like five, six hours. Right. I do joke about it, but there is that it, very it does real happen. situation of to have some extra food and make sure you have some nutrition. And your car's filled up with gas. We don't see it very often, but it does happen. And we used to hear about that uh, back in the older days. You'd hear about people that were stranded for even days on the highway and the snowbanks. But today, I think, uh, you know, technology and cell phones really have helped that where you almost always can get a hold of somebody. But like you said, Brian, it can always happen. Make sure you got a good emergency kit in the trunk. Might include a good book. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to be there a while, Absolutely. Now, some questions that have come in from a lot of our listeners, and I want to kind of run through those. And Brian, we're going to pick your brain here. An idea that I do use during some of the colder winter days is I like to warm up my vehicle before I leave. Is that a good thing? And how long should you be warming that up for? 
with today's cars, you really don't have to warm it up very long. Minute or two is plenty for the engine itself, but it still takes a little bit longer to get the heater up to operating temperature to help clean those windows, making sure we're not fogging up. So I think that really is what should play the most into your decision as far as how long you should be doing it. If the windshield and the side windows aren't clear, we shouldn't be taken off. We should let that car warm up longer to make sure we can see all around us. Remote starts have made that a lot easier for a lot of people. I think most vehicles are equipped with remote starts these days. I don't know about most, but many Many. are. Okay. You can have one installed or added on. Yep, you can do that. Yeah, that's awesome. So that way you can be inside in the warmth of your house and look out the window and hit a button and let it get warmed up. What would grandpa say about that? (laughs) Wasting gas? Get out there and start your car. you wimp. (laughs) (laughs) I used to walk both ways to school uphill in the snowstorm. That's right. Yeah. So what also about plugging your car in? I mean, the heating up the engine block, right? With diesels, it's ultra important. Okay. With today's fuel injection and how well the engines are built anymore. Most people don't plug them in like we used to. You dial it back 30, 40 years when we had carburetors and those didn't start the car quite as nice. Dump a lot of fuel and now it's flooded and things aren't going to go. So, Remember that? Yeah. Worked on a lot of cars. Oh, yeah. I will not ask all the technology. Even though I have a lot of questions about the technology of all that, I will not do it in this podcast. Because <laughs> that's just fascinating, like how that has all changed. But, yeah, we'll just say we don't need to do it so much. If you got it, it's definitely better for the engine. But most cars aren't equipped with it anymore anyways. So that's really kind of gone away with fuel injection yep. today's latest technology. Another question that had come in as well is, what's the minimum tire tread depth? And we might want to explain that a little bit further. I should have before winter driving. So tread depth, that must be the The amount of rubber that's worn off or left on the tire. The legal tread limit is 230 seconds. So there's not much there. We start recommending replacement of the tires at 430 seconds. So if you think about it, you take a quarter. And you look from the edge to the top of Washington's head, that little gap there, that's 430 seconds. That's not much between you and the road and trying to clear out this slush and snow. My answer is it should be a brand new tire, but that's not realistic. Heading into winter, I would definitely say more than half of the tread left because you got three, four, five months of winter. Absolutely. Right. And I suppose that can really depend on the type of tread, too, because different tread designs are better. And Absolutely. That comes back to the winter tire. I'm an advocate on winter tires. It's on every car I own. It does make that much of a difference. There is additional expense involved. So, But you're saying it's definitely worth that expense. Definitely makes the difference. Checking those tires before you head out into the winter months. I'm going to come back again with that professional inspection. Make sure that somebody gives a good look over and and measures your tread depth and determines whether these tires are going to take you through that season. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So we've covered a lot today in regards to how Wisconsin winters affect you and your car. We went through uh, kind of where our Wisconsin roadways have come since the 1950s. We also talked about all the tools you have to keep yourself safe. 
and what you can do to prepare mentally for driving in our Wisconsin winters and talked about the different things and items that you can check and have checked in your car prior to the winter months and what's in your trunk. We looked at what you should have in your trunk to get ready for any potential breakdown you might have and we answered some very important questions that help you get ready for winter driving. So we hope to have you right along next time on All About the Car. To listen to previous episodes, find additional resources, or to simply send us a message, head to allaboutthecarpodcast.com. We'll see you next time.